0: Do You want to stay more focused on the right goals in your life or even just figure out what the right goals are for you Do you want clarity? Do you want better work-life balance? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to success through failure Welcome to the success through failure podcast the show that reveals failure as your path to success You'll listen to intriguing interviews with some of the most successful people on the planet and learn how their failures became a launchpad for success and how yours can too. Here's your host, former Division I All-American wrestler, former Division I head coach, speaker, and personal coach, Jim Harshaw. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. Today, I bring you Drew Tarvin. I've had tons of amazing guests on this show, well over 100 now, billionaires, astronauts, professional athletes, world-renowned entrepreneurs, and they've shared their insider secrets for success. They've offered everything from top book recommendations to success hacks to action items that you can use today to see results immediately. If you're like me, you love this kind of stuff, and if you're like me, you want to get the Cliff Notes, or I guess these days they call them the Spark Notes, Well, you can get access to the action plans from your favorite guests, like Spartan Race founder Joe DeSena from episode 27, or Navy SEAL Mark Devine from episode 45, or maybe fitness guru Tony Horton from episode 85, plus other amazing tips and tactics to help you get clear on how to get from where you're at to where you want to be. I put all this in one place because you're busy and you want to get what you need quickly so you can move on with your day. Here's what I want you to do. Go to jimharshawjr.com slash action to get instant access to everything I just talked about. That's jimharshawjr.com slash action. And if you're listening to this on iTunes, there are three dots on your screen. Just touch the three dots, select view full description. There you'll see the link to download all of the incredible resources and action plans that I just mentioned. Now for today's guest. I want to do things a little bit differently today. Now that I'm working from my home office, I have a little more time to put into my podcast episodes. And what I want to do is uh, after I record the episodes... I wanna go back and now record the intro. So I just got off the off of Skype, not off the phone, but off of Skype with Drew. And it was a fascinating interview. I'll be honest, I didn't know how this one was gonna turn out because, you know, how interesting is it that, you know, you wanna have how do you you know, you wanna incorporate humor into your life and humor into work. Is this really relevant? How impactful is it gonna be? And, you know, what's his failure story gonna be like? And I was blown out of the water by all of it. If you're anything like me, I'm not naturally funny, right? Every once in a while, I crack a good one, and I'm kind of proud of myself, right? But uh, but it doesn't really just come naturally. So if you want to incorporate humor more into your life, into your work, into your relationships, this episode is for you. Even if you don't know, or especially if you don't know how, I think we all somewhat inherently understand the value of humor but drew explains to us really the 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 value not just like it makes somebody smile and you know laughter is the best medicine but the actual uh, increase in efficiency uh, effectiveness productivity job satisfaction all these other values that uh, that humor brings both to the workplace and just to our lives in general so Check this episode out. Here's Drew's bio. Drew is the world's first humor engineer, teaching people how to get better results while having more fun. Combining his background as a project manager at Procter and Gamble with his experience as a stand-up comedian, he reverse engineers the skill of humor in a way that's practical, actionable, and gets results in the workplace. And you know me, I like practical, I like actionable things that get results. Through his company called Humor That Works, Drew has worked with more than 35,000 people at over 250 organizations. He's done over 500 talks and has worked with companies and organizations from the US Navy, ESPN, Microsoft, and the FBI, and many others. He's also a best-selling author, and he's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes and Fast Company, and his TEDx talk has been viewed more than five, get this, million, five million times. And as always, if you don't have time to listen to this entire episode, which you should, uh, or if you hear something you like, but you don't have time to write it down, make sure you grab your free copy of the action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. Let's get to the interview with Drew. Here we go. Drew, welcome to the show.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: So, humor at work and how do we use humor? This is going to be a great topic. But first, before we dive into that, why don't you give us a little bit of background? Tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and kind of the 30,000 foot view of how you got from there to where you're at now.
1: Sure. So, uh, I grew up in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. And, uh, so my, my job title now will start kind of, we'll do a little memento kind of style thing of like, so where I am now is I am, as far as I know, the world's first humor engineer. Uh, like if you, at least according to Google, like when you, before I started doing (laughs) this stuff, like if you go to humor engineer, you got jokes about engineers and that was it. Um, now you Google humor engineer, you get me and then jokes about engineers. So that's where I am now. And a lot of times people think like, okay, that seems like an oxymoron or those two things. Don't, you know, you don't think of those two things together. So that's where we're going to end up as humor engineers. So to backtrack a little bit for this 30,000 foot view, I was born an engineer. I am first and foremost an engineer. The way I said, the reason why I say I was born an engineer, cause I was born three weeks early. So, you know, even in the womb, I was obsessed with efficiency. I was like, <laughs> sure, let's do this. Get factor. this thing done. Uh-huh. Uh, all through school, all through growing up was, you know, how do I do things as efficiently as possible? Like, you know, how do I how do I load the dishwasher more efficiently? Load and unload it. And I realized. That's me.
0: Um, I am. I'm yeah. an efficient dishwasher loader. I mean, I'll, I'll rearrange the dishwasher whenever my wife loads it. So anyway, yeah, I'm with well, you there.
1: And, and so this was the key is that I found if you put the like silverware together and still like spread it out, but put it together, you save it about 20 seconds on the unload
0: you know what i didn't even think of that so um i'm gonna implement that
1: yeah next all right so yeah obsessed with that kind of stuff like how do i get ready earlier um how do i you know kind of streamline my day and how am i you know i the wonderful thing is once fitbit came out and like it like step counters came out, I could then see, okay, which direction, like if I'm going to the subway, I live in New York now, if I'm going to the subway, which route is the least number of steps. And so like always obsessed with efficiency, focused on that. So, uh, I went to the Ohio State University, which growing up in Cincinnati, of course, that's the, um, University of Cincinnati and then Ohio State are the big ones to go to. So I go to Ohio State get a degree in computer science and engineering. And then after I graduated, I started working for Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati, Ohio. And that's where their global headquarters are. That's where when you're a kid growing up, people are like, okay, if you can get a job at PNG, you're like set. Because, uh, you know, they take care of their employees and you're gonna have interesting work. And based on your salary versus, you know, cost of living for a kid growing up lower middle class to go into like that type of role, like it was super exciting. I was like, basically, this is my next, you know, my entire 40 year career in working is going to be png sure and the problem is that once i got to png i loved the work but i realized there that you can't be efficient with humans right like you could be <laughs> efficient with computers but not with people yeah and i didn't have the the skill set that i needed to be more effective with people right so it's not about being efficient it's about being effective with humans and i didn't have that skill set naturally but i'd started doing improv and stand up in college and at p&g i realized it was the improv and stand up that had given me the skills i needed to actually lead people in a meeting and get them to pay attention or actually send an email that they would read and act on or for my own self-managed stress and make it a little bit more fun and so that's that's the journey that began of me exploring this idea of humor in the workplace
0: and so are you saying and do you teach that humor helps us be more effective? I mean, does it help us be more effective and more efficient in the workplace or anywhere else for that matter?
1: Yeah. So um, so what, I, what we say is that it's the missing skill for success and happiness at work. And one, there's a couple of like reasons why You know, each one of those words is, I think, important to me. One, that it is a skill, which means it can be learned. Two, that it does increase both our success. So it helps us get better results. It helps us to execute faster and think smarter and communicate better and connect closer and lead further. It does improve our overall work enjoyment and our happiness in the workplace. And then the other big piece to it is that it's the missing skill. It's like, you know, when you go through school, you often are learning the skills you need to get a job. And then once you're on the job, you're learning the skills you need to do that job. But very rarely, if ever, are you ever taught how to enjoy that job. Yeah, I, I don't think, think I ever I think saw a, business,
0: a, a, a class on on humor. <laughs> right. Exactly. So before people turn this episode off and skip to the next episode of of the podcast, and they because they're saying I'm not funny, so this this episode's not for me. Mm -hmm. You said that it's, you know, the humor is a skill that can be learned. Tell me more about that.
1: Yeah, I think exactly right. So many people think that it's like this innate ability. In fact, uh, so I was uh, this is a few years ago. I was speaking in Switzerland at an event and one of the other speakers was a gentleman named Kevin Richardson. Kevin Richardson, he's also known as the lion whisperer. So if you've ever seen like the YouTube videos of like a lion hugging a dude, that's this guy. He lives in South Africa. He raises lions from really, when they're really young as part of like con- conservation efforts. Uh, they treat him as one of the pride. Uh, I think of him as kind of like the human version of Rafiki from The Lion King. And so he lives with lions. And uh, we were talking before the event. He found out that I did stand-up comedy. And he was like, oh, I could never do that. <laughs> He's, and I was like, why? And he's like, because it's too scary. Too scary. I'm like, the guy who lives with lions. Yeah, you live with lions, literally things that could eat your face. And yeah, and so people have this fear. They're like, oh, I'm just not naturally funny or whatever. And the reality is that humor is a skill, which means it can be learned because it's simply a set of behaviors and a set of actions. And those things can be learned. It's like cooking. Yes, there are some people who are naturally better cooks than others. I am not a very good cook, but I can follow a recipe. I can kind of start to get better over time as I practicing or the other aspect of the reason why I like cooking as a metaphor is that to use humor in the workplace, you don't always have to be the creator of the humor. Instead, you could be the curator of the humor. You could be, you know, you don't have to be the one that says the funny line, but you could be the person that shares, you know, a great TEDx talk on the uh, idea of failure and why it's so important to teach that to people. You could be like, oh, let me send this out to my entire team. Or you could hire someone to come in and help you with it. So some of the work that we do with humor that works is we work with organizations on, okay, here's how you can implement some humor strategies and here's how you build that skill. So you don't have to do these things alone. It starts first with kind of like the choice and the mindset to say, okay, this, I, I see all the benefits to humor, which we can talk about, but because of that, I now want to implement them and here's how you do it. And
0: for the listener, like I'm a hundred percent on board with this. I just want to say that, like, I, I agree with Drew in terms of the value of humor, and I've seen it work in my speaking career. Like, I, I consider myself not like not a naturally funny person. Like, every once in a while, I can pull something out and it's funny and it's great. But, but it's it's I don't think it's like my default state, right? I think I'm a little probably mm-hmm. too conservative, too reserved for that. Generally, um, I think I've I've gotten better at that over the years. But I do know this, when I can get an audience to laugh, it changes everything. It changes the vibe in the room, it changes how I feel, it changes their engagement. I mean, it's just it's just such a great way for me to start a talk and to include humor in a talk. Anytime I do, it just talks go better. And Absolutely. I've also found that in personal like one-on-one interactions, if you can make somebody smile, if you can make them laugh, it just it makes a conversation feel more authentic more more genuine and more real like you really feel that connection so i'm totally bought into this concept
1: yeah. well, and well and to kind of just build off of that let me ask yeah, you a very dumb question um but i still want an answer to the dumb question and the dumb question is no would such thing as dumb something? questions, just yeah. dumb people, uh-huh. yeah, there you go. <laughs> right, so just here, yeah here's the the question that some people may say that's a silly question. The, the question is, would you rather do something that is fun or not
0: fun? I don't think I have to think about that one too long, but we'll right. go with fun,
1: yeah, right? So I, I feel like probably ninety nine percent of people are going to say, "Oh, well, yeah, fun yeah. and it's a silly question. It's an obvious answer. So that stands a reason, though, that if you were to make your speeches a little bit more fun, yeah, right. do you think people would pay more attention? Sure, if you were to make course. your meetings a little bit more fun, would people be more willing to go? Yeah. If you were to make your emails a little bit more fun, would people be more willing to read them? And so there's there's the like so there's two extremes that I love both of them. There's the simple kind of like behavioral thing of, yes, we would think do things that are more fun. And then there's research that backs it up. There's 30 plus benefits to using humor in the workplace, all backed by research, case studies, real world examples, things that have been peer reviewed, things that have been, you know, blind, blindly tested, not blindly tested, like a double blind test. Blindly tested would be weird. (laughs) Right. But there's actual proof companies, case studies where they've seen an increase in productivity or in profit or other things once they've started to implement things like humor and understanding happiness in the workplace, all these things. So whether you're influenced by data or by kind of this emotional, whether it's ethos, pathos or logos, like there is justification for humor in the workplace. To all of those points that you just said, is that it does it changes uh, the experience for a human because we still work with humans, right? We have alexas and series and things like that, but until we are working for robot overlords, humor is going <laughs> to be an incredibly valuable tool in the workplace.
0: So, how do we do it? So, I, I just left a, a job, right? I just as, I'm, as I'm, we're recording this, it, it's been I don't know less than two weeks since I've left my. My job at the University of Virginia, and you know, I think you know, if we were to had had hired you, how would you come in, and how do you go into organizations and teach them to bring humor? Like, I can certainly see the value, but it's like, how do you even go? Okay, like I, I understand this is a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand that it's good. I understand that it breaks the ice. It makes people feel feel more engaged, more connected. But it's Monday morning. I'm going into the office. How am I going to bring humor into my office? Is I mean, what's the? How do do you make that happen?
1: Sure. So the strategy. There's a couple of things that we kind of employ, and it all centers around what we call our humor map.
0: And can I can I interrupt? I'm sorry, Drew. Real quick, I just want to say, like, and this is for for you, the listener. Whether whether you are at work, maybe you're a manager, maybe you're an employee, maybe you're at the top of the food chain. Maybe you're at the bottom of the food chain. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're a teacher. Uh, maybe you work on a team or with teams. I mean, so this isn't just for the boss, right? This is right. what Drew can share with us is for for anybody. So sorry to interrupt, Drew, but go ahead.
1: No, no. And that is a, a great distinction, right? Because he, here's, you know, we'll start with kind of maybe the uh, a central theme of a lot of what I believe is that you are responsible for your own happiness, Right. Uh, it is not up to your manager or your coworkers or your clients or, you know, people picking up the phone and calling you to, to make sure that you're happy. Mm, that right. is entirely up to you. Now, hopefully they don't detract from that, but, right, you are responsible for it. And so a big part of it starts first with a choice is saying, okay, you know what, I have to do some of this work anyway. I might as well find ways to make it a little bit more fun. And so that choice part is probably the starting point is for people listening to be like, all right, let me then think about how can I start to intentionally use humor in the workplace? Or because sometimes people are like, ah, yeah, I laugh every now and then, but they don't do it with intention. So how do we do uh, how do we use humor effectively in the workplace with intention? And this goes this centers around this idea of this map and the map stands for your medium, your audience and your purpose. So your medium is how are you going to execute the humor? Is it In an email, right? Or is it, hey, I'm getting ready to take my commute into work in the morning. Uh, What am I going to do during that commute? Or I'm giving a presentation to, you know, 50 people. um, So it's now like live when I'm talking to a bunch of people or it's one on one in a meeting. So Medium is important because we know it impacts the message right you know that you know a joke that you kind of say with someone in person maybe it's a little bit sarcastic or kind of a a playful rib to them if you were to text that exact same thing they would read it and be like why does this person hate me right so (laughs) we know the medium impacts the message yeah the second piece is your audience and this is who is receiving that humor. One, what do they know, what do they need, and what do they expect? Because humor is partly about doing things a little bit differently. So you still want to deliver against what they need in a way that they don't expect. So humor in the workplace does not replace the work, right? It's not like you can just be like, oh, I'm just going to start telling jokes more, and then that way I don't have to actually (laughs) get anything done.
0: My boss won't expect anything from me if I tell jokes.
1: Exactly. No, you still have to do the work. It's not about changing what you do in the workplace. It's rather changing how you do it. So you're still going to deliver what you need, but you start to do it in a way that's like slightly unexpected uh, to the audience so that they stay engaged. The other important aspect of the audience is what is your relationship to them? Because a joke that you say with a friend, a coworker of yours that you've known for 10 years is very different than what you might say to a client that you're meeting for the very first time. So your, your relationship is important. Same thing with leaders. This is where sometimes leaders get tripped up is that they're like, oh, but I, you know, I do banter back and forth with all of my friends and we kind of make fun of each other a little bit. And it's like, yeah, that's great because you feel like you're equal status. As a manager of someone else, you inherently have a little bit higher status. And so the jokes that you think are just playful banter then comes across as you being aggressively mean. Sure. Right. So that relationship is important. And the last piece and the most important piece is this purpose. And this is why are you using humor? Because like humor just because like, I heard I should is okay, but it's more important to say, okay, I want to use humor to achieve this specific result. And so when we work with organizations, we start with this map really starting with purpose. And so, you know, if I was if I was coming into your organization, be like, okay, so what are some of the core challenges that you're dealing with? And so some of the common ones are, oh, stress is really high right now. Right. People are they're asked to do more with less and things are constantly changing. And, you know, we have some initiatives coming and there's all this change happening. And, uh, you know, stress is just hot at this this higher point. Okay, great. So our purpose is how do we use humor to intentionally help to relieve some stress? Because we know that stress by itself is not a bad thing. But when you don't relieve that stress and you have chronic stress, that's when you see an increase in muscle tension and a decrease in the immune system, and you see an increase in healthcare costs for an organization perspective. So we say, okay, that's our baseline for purpose. We're going to help you to use humor to manage stress. Okay, here are some strategies for doing that. Things like strategically disengaging, encouraging people to take breaks, not just, you know, on the weekends, not just at night, but daily, hourly, where they're like, okay, after a meeting, they're allowed to have, say, five minutes to themselves to watch something comedic, to make themselves laugh and kind of increase blood flow through the body and all that. Or we might teach them a strategy around how do you reframe stress? How do you look at things so that what maybe causes you stress, rather than finding the stress in it or the things that make you frustrated by it, here's how you find the humor in it, right? So we give those kind of techniques all based on what they're trying to achieve.
0: That's interesting. So you got my mind thinking now. It's like, yeah, you can walk out of a meeting, maybe a meeting that was particularly stressful or something like that and you can send everybody a, a meme or a you know short youtube clip from seinfeld or, or something like that some kind of joke that uh you know if if appropriate obviously and considering yeah. the, the you know like you said the medium the audience and the purpose but you know you can you can do that that's a thing you can do after a meeting right you know like you said you know after a meeting everybody can have five minutes to, to watch a funny video or something like that it's like when you're in you know I'll go back to the two words. Well, the one word that you use, and I'll, one word I'll add to it, is intentional. Like you have mm-hmm. to be intentional about this. Like I think everybody understands that humor is valuable, and I do want to hear from you, Drew, some some of the other benefits. We did touch mm-hmm. on that, but we all understand that there's value in humor. So it's like then you have to be intentional about it, right? It's mm-hmm. like, it's like anything else. There's there's value in in being healthy. So you have to be intentional about what you're going to eat for lunch, what you're going to pick mm-hmm. off the menu, what you're going to pack for lunch. How are you going to spend your, your Saturday morning? Are you going to go for a walk? Are you going to, are you going to sit down and eat donuts? <laughs> right. It's like, right. you have to be intentional about things that are beneficial to you. And I'll be honest, Drew, I never really thought about being intentional about humor. So this, this is, this is kind of eye opening to me, but. Um,
1: yeah. Well, and, and from that intentions, uh, piece. the So the the book that uh, recently came out is kind of 10 humor strategies for humor using humor in the workplace across what we say are the five skills of work, right? So the five skills are you have to be able to execute. So you have to be able to complete a task, send an email, you know, shave an alpaca if that's your job. If you're an alpaca farmer, you have to be able to actually execute. Uh, you have to be able to think. So you have to be able to strategically plan and solve problems as they arise and create a plan for the the future and mitigate, you know, things that come up. Uh, you have to be able to communicate, uh, and that is, you know, sending emails and explaining things in a way that people understand. You know, picking the right emoji in a uh, text so that you convey the right message. You have to be able to connect at a human level because again, we still are working with humans. So how do you build relationships, emotional intelligence, empathy, and then finally, how do you lead? You have to be able to influence people towards a common goal. And this is a similar thing, like you said, whether you are brand new into an organization or you are the um, the head honcho, you have to be able to lead. You have to be able to influence. And so every job is some set of those five skills. And so that's why humor is this missing skill. So, so humor can be applied to each one of these skills. And that's kind of the intention piece of like thinking about, okay, how does this actually work? So there's, there's two strategies in the book for each one of those, but the bonus strategy back to the intention, intention piece, the bonus strategy and what we encourage everyone to do, regardless of whether you, you know, look at some of the stuff that we put out there or not is to simply think one smile per hour. (laughs) As you go through your day, think about, okay, what's one thing that I can do each hour of the day that brings either a smile to my face or the face of someone else. So, like you said, you're going into a meeting. You know, it's an hour long meeting. What's one thing that you can do in the meeting that brings a little bit of humor into it? So, I think yeah, having giving people time at the end of the meeting to to do something or sending them something funny, I think is great. At PNG, I used to start each of my meetings with a kind of get to know you type question. If it was like eight or nine people in the room, because one, it would help us build relationships with each other, get to know each other a little better. But two, it would just reset the day. People would come in super stressed. We'd start off with something simple like, okay, you know, what's the first thing you remember buying with your own money? Everyone go around and they say, or, uh, you know, you can do the classic two truths and a lie. You can do uh, an improv activity if you want, but something to kind of reset the energy of the room to say, okay, let's, let's take a quick break so that we can be, you know, what people are like, ah, but that's not efficient. I want as a as meeting as possible. Yes, it should still be a on agenda meeting. But having that as an agenda item allows people to refresh and they're more engaged in the meeting because they've got the blood flowing and all that, right? So yeah, you can say right. each of these hours of the day, what's one thing that I can do? And that's how you develop intentional or turn it into a habit.
0: Yeah. And I love these specific tactics you're giving us, right? This is this is you know the idea of doing something right after a meeting, the idea of starting a meeting in a certain way. I I was just uh, where did I read it or maybe heard on a podcast? Uh, oh, I was at I'm sorry, I took a uh, a class on team building, and just one of the things that, that was brought up by the leader was this idea that you know we go into meetings with like a checklist, right? Okay, we've got to cover these mm-hmm. these five or ten agenda items, and then we're done. And we everybody walks away. Well, if you're working in a team. One of the most valuable things you can do is, is build relationships and develop trust. And that's what you're talking about. Like this is another, you gave us another tactic, Drew, that you can start a meeting with a question. I mean, Google, you know, for the listener, go, you can Google, you know, icebreaker questions or funny questions to ask in a meeting or something like that. Funny ways to start a meeting. I mean, you, you can find stuff and Drew, you probably have a lot of that on your website and resources there. So we'll direct people there as well. And it's, uh, and, and it's andrewtarvin.com. Am I right?
1: Yeah. So actually all on the humor side, it's humor that works.com. So in fact, yeah, if works. you Google com. 50 questions to get to know someone, we're one of the top links on that page because of that same thing of like, okay, if this is a strategy now, let me develop some questions so that it's not a like, well, I got to think of a question every time. No, I just created a list and then I could then go down that list for sure. And that's, that's the engineer side coming out as like, okay, what are the the tactics on an individual level? And that's why the first book that we wrote was called 501 ways to use humor in the workplace. It was simply meant to be here's a reference guide that if you want to use humor but you don't know how, go to the the book, turn to any page, and pick one of the things there just as a starting point. Because what happens is as you start to think about this one smile per hour, yes, maybe you start with some of the ideas that we share. But then you're going to start to notice some things yourself. You're going to start to be like, oh, you know what? I have a commute, and uh, that would be a great time to to listen to the podcast that I like or, you know, Oh, I got to go through, I'm going to batch process my email. So the next 30 minutes, I'm going to go through emails. So maybe I'm going to listen to music that I like, or maybe, you know, one of the things that I'll do is I'll start to read emails in a different accent in my head, <laughs> right, just as a way to make it kind of a little bit different. So you're going to find your own strategies, find the own things that you like leverage your own strengths. Cause some people, yeah, maybe you're not a great joke teller. Maybe you always kind of miss the details and stuff like that. So we're not saying learn how to tell jokes, Maybe instead, maybe you're great at visuals. Maybe you take fantastic pictures. Can you start to incorporate more images into your meetings that are related to the content that you're talking about? Or maybe you're a great illustrator, so you start taking visual notes. Or maybe you are a great storyteller. Like, you know, you're going to find your own way, but it's, the important part is starting that habit.
0: So it's not just about being the class clown. You don't have to be the funny guy or the funny girl who walks into the room and can make everybody giggle and make everybody laugh just by just by saying some kind of one liner. So it's not about becoming Rodney Dangerfield here. It's about exactly. finding different ways and humor that that fits you and ways that you can do this. And and I mentioned that there, you know, you use the word intentional, and I was going to add a word to that, and that other word is mindful, like being mindful, Hi. right? And. And for the long time listener, you may roll your eyes as I say this, but this is just another version of what I call the productive pause, right? And this is a productive pause is defined as a short period of focused reflection around specific questions that leads to clarity of action and peace of mind. So the question here is, how can I incorporate humor? And it doesn't just happen unless you're intentional about it, unless you're mindful of it, unless you, you do some thinking on it, you could do, you know, how would you do this? You would do maybe some journaling, maybe you know, writing. A, you know, a goal, actually making it a goal, right? A short-term goal, a goal for this week or a goal for this month, or maybe it's just a longer-term goal. You want to become, you want to incorporate humor into your life more. I mean, it's a it's a good goal to have. You know, sitting down on on Sunday night, planning out your week, and thinking, okay, you know what, things are kind of tense at work right now, or things are fine at work right now, but I want to up them a level. How do I, how do I bring some humor? How do I incorporate some humor? To get everybody to smile, get everybody to laugh and, and, uh, and up everybody's game. So these are great. Uh, these are great tactics that you've shared with us, Drew. Can you share with us just a couple of the other benefits? You know, you talked about mm-hmm. helps people connect better. Um, and it's the missing skill, but what are some of the other just sort of top of your mind? Some of the benefits that you've learned that, uh, that come from humor.
1: Sure. And I really quickly want to build off of that mindful and the productive positive. I think that's brilliant. I think it's fantastic. And you mentioned journaling as one of the options. If you want to become more humorous, one, if you eventually maybe want to do stand up comedy, which is not the goal, right? The goal is, like you said, it's not to be seen as a funny person in the office. The goal is not for people to always constantly tell you, oh, you should do stand up comedy, right? It's the goal is to be effective in the workplace. But I would give the same advice, whether you just want to add, start to see humor a little bit more in the world, or if you want to do that, the starting advice is the same, and that is to create a humor notebook. So that is to create essentially what is a journal or a repository where anytime something comes up that you think is funny, anytime you watch a funny video that you really like – Anytime that a uh, crazy story or something happens with a client or whatever that's kind of ridiculous happens, anytime you have this kind of observation, because the source of the starting point of the skill of humor is really your sense of humor and your sense of humor is like, what do you find interesting? So anytime something goes like, you're like, huh, that's kind of interesting. I wonder why that's like that. You write it down in a humor notebook. And then when you want to go back like that Sunday night or you're prepping for a meeting or something and you're like, I want to incorporate humor in this, this meeting, but I don't know how you, rather than starting from scratch, you can go to your humor notebook and look through it and be like, oh yeah, I talked about, you know, I learned this exercise from that podcast. So maybe I'll try that. Or yeah, this is kind of an interesting idea about like, it's crazy, like how everyone replies to all and isn't it terrible when like people reply to all to say not to reply to all. What's that (laughs) about? Maybe I can find some humor around that. Right. Like, so that's the starting point. And that helps you, one, so that you're not starting from scratch. But two, you know, I think this habit piece is it helps to, are you familiar with the reticular activation system? Yes. Right. So RAS. And and if you're not, if you're listening, you're not super familiar and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of it is kind of like, you know, if you, if a friend of yours buys a car, so like my mom just recently bought a Subaru Outback. Right. So I've now started to see Subaru Outbacks like everywhere on the road. And it's not that there's an increase of Subaru Outbacks. It's just that my brain used to filter that information because it said, you know, it's constantly filtering tons of information. It doesn't know what it needs, what it does. Like it's saying, oh, that's not important information. Now it says, okay, maybe you want to know this because, hey, maybe that's your mom. (laughs) And so I'm just now aware of it more. And so the humor notebook basically does the same thing for humor. Because I don't think that funny things happen to funny people. I think funny people see the world in a funny way. Sure. And so by creating this notebook, you're starting to attune yourself more to the everyday things that happen in life to start to find the humor in it. So I think that's a great kind of just kind of like build off of, like you said, the mindfulness around it. And by developing it as a habit, it becomes more natural. It's not something that you have to do so uh, consciously every single time.
0: And I'll, I'll leave it with this piece before I get into a couple other questions I want to ask you, Drew, but I'll leave this for the, for the listeners. You know, a few years ago, I would, I, I guess about four or five years ago, I've always said that I'm not a morning person. I just I don't like to wake up early; it's not my thing. Well, now I wake up between five and five thirty every day. It's just what I do. It's I, I've become that person, right now. I don't say I'm not a morning person anymore. Mm-hmm. I kind of say I'm not a I'm not a night owl anymore because yeah. uh, I enjoy waking up early, and that's just I've shifted that, right? Uh, I've cultivated that in myself. I used to say that I'm not good at distance running. I don't like it. I'm not good at it. There's something in my body that just doesn't make it work. Well. I, I squashed that because I, I ran a half marathon a few years ago. I just committed. I'm like, I'm like, I'm sick of telling myself this thing that's not true. And so I just forced myself to, to do something that was out of my comfort zone. And I, I ran you know, 12, 13 miles and it was fun and easy, actually. And I was like, wait a second, I guess, I guess I was telling myself a lie this whole time. And so if you're sitting there telling yourself that I'm not funny, um, I'd consider challenging that challenge yourself and grow in that area. It's something that, you know, as Drew's told us, there's, there are many, many benefits to it. So,
1: yeah. And to, and to quickly hit on those, yeah, in terms of additional benefits that you get. So there's individual benefits of like, you're going to be long-term more effective and more productive because, you know, one of the things that I love productivity, like as an engineer, I'm obsessed with it. One of the things that I have found is that it is very difficult to be productive if you are dead. <laughs> right? Or if you feel like death, right, if you are sick and tired or burned out, stressed out, worn out, you know it's difficult to be productive. And so humor and managing the stress around it does increase your productivity and engagement in the workplace. It also helps you to think smarter. There's a study that found that kids who watched a 30-minute comedy video before they tried to solve a problem – we're nearly four times more likely to solve that problem, wow. right? So you can intentionally, hey, how can I watch 30 minutes of comedy to start to, because it's because humor and creativity are closely linked. They're about seeing unique connections. Sure. And so you're basically warming up the brain. So if you're going into a brainstorming or problem-solving session, how can you incorporate a little bit of humor to, to change that? We do it to connect closer. I love there's a great Victor Borg quote that says, the shortest distance between two people is a smile right? Because when you smile and the other person smiles, it creates a connection. So humor is a great way to build rapport. That's whether that's long-term team building or if you're in sales and you want to build rapport with clients right away because people buy from people that they trust. Humor is a great way to do that rather than starting immediately like here by this thing, build a little bit of rapport, have a little bit of fun, use a little bit of conversational humor. And then also it's great for leadership as well because people who use humor are seen as stronger leaders. And so you can use a little bit of that humor, you can use it to diffuse tension, you can use it in a lot of different moments, Uh, and you can encourage other people to use humor, to build a stronger, more uh, cohesive team. And when organizations build a culture of humor, they see an increase in employee productivity, they see a decrease in employee turnover, they see uh, an increase in job satisfaction, in a lot of cases, ultimately an increase in profit. So there are tons of benefits to using humor in the workplace.
0: (laughs) For the leaders out there, if you've been turning over every stone trying to figure out how to increase productivity, increase retention, uh, make your employees happier, all those things—I mean, this is—if this isn't one, this humor isn't one that you've tried, uh, give it a try. There's a great sales guru who's written so many, a bunch of books, and he's just really, really amazing guy. I've listened to his audiobooks and, and watched a lot of videos, but his name's Jeffrey Gittimer. And he always says, "If you can make them laugh, you can make them buy." And it's just yeah. This- and he
1: said he has a great quote. I think it's him that says, uh, "At the end of laughter is the height of listening." Yeah. So if you want people to pay attention to your message more, you use a little bit of humor to start to get them yeah. engaged, and then you can tell them anything.
0: Drew, man, you've really opened my eyes to this. This is uh, this is uh, an even better conversation than I expected it to be. So I mean, it, starting off with the dishwasher loading techniques, yeah, I mean, that was absolutely. really, yeah, that, is that really what I'm taking away from this right now. So.
1: Well, and the one thing that I do want to uh, touch on very quickly, as you started to mention, is that you have to be comfortable with failure in this scenario. You have to be comfortable yeah. with saying a joke that is not going to make people laugh and certainly one you want to stay positive and inclusive because some people are like okay and because all the stuff that with the benefits that we're talking about is assuming that you are using appropriate effective humor for the workplace and so aside from but no one's ever been fired because of a bad joke but they have been fired because of an inappropriate joke and so understanding the difference between the two a bad joke is just one that people don't like laugh at or they don't like i love bad jokes I just tweeted out just the other day. I love tweeting out puns and wordplay and all that. I just recently tweeted out, I would love to work at a door selling company just <laughs> I so I that. can say in every single meeting, our success hinges on this. <laughs> uh, right? It's a terrible that's joke. Great. It's a bad joke. It
0: got, it know. got 10 likes and two retweets. I'm looking at it yeah. right now. So, you right. Know, and then okay. on
1: Facebook, it's, it's spawned. This is what I love about Facebook is that I'm friends with a bunch of comedians. It spawned a bunch of people then adding their own jokes. They're like, Oh, this would be an <laughs> open and shut case. And, uh, It'd be easy to screen uh, applicants here. So like a lot of additional (laughs) puns (laughs) to it, I'd love. Um, But that's a bad joke. An inappropriate joke is one that has an inappropriate topic. So like using humor in the workplace is not an excuse to talk about sex, drugs, or rock and roll. It could have an inappropriate target where you're making fun of someone, or it could come at an inappropriate time, right? So there's a distinction between the two. When learning humor, you have to be comfortable with the idea that you might have some bad like jokes. You might say some things that you think are going to be funnier or that people are going to laugh at, and they don't. And one of the things that I learned early on from comedy, now we'll see if this resonates with you, is that failure is just data.
0: True. 100%. Right, it's just
1: data to say the thing that you did didn't sure. work. Yeah. And so it's not you know, commentary move the on needle. Your worth you know, you aim, aim at it exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah aim it. How a do I hit on
1: it? How do I learn from that that data so that the next time I'm closer to success? That's right.
0: That's right. So while we're talking about failure, Drew, can you can you share with us a time when you failed? Maybe a time when you failed and as a result you felt that hopeless, hopelessness, that that self-doubt that comes from failure and how you were able to move through that?
1: Yeah, well the one of the the fourth stand-up show that I ever did, I failed and and what we would say in comedy is I bombed uh really hard. Uh it was a stand-up comedy competition at Ohio State, the fourth show that I ever did. I was in a comedy competition. I had made it to the semifinal, like the second round. So for the show, there's 200 people that showed up. I was super excited. So I invited my mom and my brother and everything. They came up. And that show they had guest judges. Uh, and the guest judges were Mark Curry um, from a show called Hanging with Mr. Cooper, which I'd like grown up watching the day. So it was like a, a celebrity to me on stage. A guy named Joe Coy, who's a very funny comedian and Daniel Tosh. And this was before Tosh.0, wow. but he was still a pretty well-known like comedian. He was sure. a traveling wow. uh, college comedian at that time. They're literally on stage as the guest judges. And so I have a six-minute set. Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I get to like minute three and a half or four, and I completely blank on what I'm supposed to say next because I had memorized everything word for word. And so I, was, I couldn't figure out the next couple of words, and so I just blank. And so I stood on stage. I looked down, and I said, wow, sorry. Wow. And I did that for 30 seconds. And I know it was 30 seconds cuz I have video proof of it. Oof, and painful. uh and it was very painful. And I mean it was so painful to the point that my brother refused to watch me do stand up for like 4 or 5 years after that because he 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 would always he would hear me say I'm going to do stand up and he would he would remember how painful it was for him sitting in the audience, yeah. let alone me on stage. So it was, it was a massive failure, but over a couple of uh, weeks, learning from that failure, I learned, one, not to be extemporane- or one, not to be memorized word for word. And I think this is true for speakers as well. You memorize word for word, and then when you get up and speak, it's about trying to be perfect and correct to the script versus just delivering a good experience in the moment. So I prefer to be extemporaneous. I have my key talking points. I know a couple of key lines that I need to say in a certain way. But aside from that, it's going to flow a little bit di- uh, different each time. Then the second piece is that I learned, and this actually came from Dave Chappelle. He talked about this of like, he knew he could become successful as a comedian or he could do comedy when he bombed really hard and realized that that was the worst that could happen. He was like in comedy, if you bomb, okay, yeah, no one got hurt. No one was shot or killed and it doesn't feel great, but hey, I've already felt this one. So, you know, let me just work to not feel it again. But if I do, at least I know I can rebound from it. And so I kind of took that same mentality of like, okay, yeah, again, this is when that failure is just data started to kind of seep into my mind of like, it didn't work. Uh, I don't want to experience that. So let me do the work so that I don't. But worst case scenarios, I just learned from it to say, okay, why did I forget? Or why did it not resonate with the audience? And what can I, how can I improve for next time?
0: I love that. So that failure led to pain. All right. And, and a lot of people are going to say, okay, pain, uh, I won't do that again. <laughs> right. And and I want you, for the listener, to think about this in your life. What did you try once and, or, or a few times and then you felt pain and you've never tried it again? You gave up. You stopped because of the pain and maybe the shame or the embarrassment or whatever that was. And also, I want to point out that Drew felt the pain and he didn't quit. It, it would be easy to say, well, I guess this isn't for me, right? You know, right. Here I am. It's i i 'm just an amateur here, just kind of learning the trade and really I bombed in this short little segment, you know with a couple hundred people. I guess this isn 't the right industry for me. this is not the right career path, but obviously it is looking at what you 're doing now you 're a worldwide known speaker and multiple books and millions of views on your tedx talks and et cetera et cetera. And I just wanna challenge the listener to internalize that. Think about you, think about yourself. Think about the pain, the embarrassment, the setbacks that you've experienced that have made you stop chasing that dream. Stop doing the thing that you want to do because you experience pain. It's 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 data, it's information. It Improvement. It and, it. and,
1: and and to add to that, because I think that is is brilliant. And I and I uh, wholeheartedly agree. Think about, have you ever like accidentally like bitten your cheek while eating food? Yeah, sure. Like probably even somewhat recently, right? Yeah. Uh, you do that and you're not like, Oh, well I don't know how to <laughs> chew anymore. I guess <laughs> right. I'm never going to I'm eat done again. with this.
0: Right. I'm going to blend right? all my food from now on. Yeah, blend there's my pork there's chops. a great
1: shower thought on Reddit, uh, not too long ago that was like, yeah, chew like biting your cheek when you're chewing is proof that even if you've done something a lot, doesn't mean you're always going to be perfect. <laughs> sure. Same thing of like, if you, If we, if we stopped doing the things that we initially failed at, we would all be crawling around to get around. We, none of us would be walking. Would never learn how to ride a bike, et cetera. First time riding a bike, all of that. Like, yeah. And I, I wholeheartedly agree that like, you know, it's, it's just data to to move forward from.
0: So drew for the listener who says, okay, I'm in, I, I get the value of humor. I want to start incorporating it more into my life. What actions can they take, maybe one or two or three action items that they can take in the next 24 to 48 hours to really start learning about this and incorporating humor into their lives more?
1: Yeah. So I'd say it's, it's probably, you know, three things, two of which I've already mentioned. One is commit to one smile per hour kind of for the workday and for home life as well. It still works of like, hey, I'm I'm sitting through an hour of family dinner. What's one thing that I can do to bring a smile to the the people, the faces of the people around me? Two is humor notebook is to start that repository, whether it's, you know, Evernote or no, the notes app on your phone, or it's a physical, tangible book. Start that. And then I would say, whatever day you're listening to this, like think about ne- the next day and and plan one specific thing and maybe even put on the calendar and say, okay, this I'm going to do. And if you're like, ah, that's still intimidating. Simply make it watch a comedy uh, special on Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that, because the other thing that can help is starting to see other people use humor. You start to like watch it with a little bit of a lens to see how are they creating laughter? How are they controlling the stage? And that will uh, that can sometimes motivate people because it's like, oh, OK, that's interesting. It gets you thinking about, OK, what would my take on this be?
0: Yeah. And for the listeners, and for, I guess I should say for any of my clients who are listening or any of you who have been listening for any length of time, you've heard me talk about the environment of excellence. And part of that environment of excellence is the people you surround yourself with, but it's also about the media that you allow into your life. And you can choose to have this kind of media. You can follow Drew on Twitter. You can follow him on other social media. You can filter this stuff into your life, so you start incorporating humor just into into your day on a regular basis. And you can you can either share that stuff. You can you can just start thinking in, in those same lines. So, Drew, this has been really really helpful, really eye opening. Where can the listener follow you? Find you? Buy your books, etc.
1: Sure. Well, if they are interested in learning more about humor in the workplace, they can go to humorthatworks.com. We have tons of free articles, blog posts there, a free newsletter you can sign up for, links to the book and the online course that we have, uh, as well as the workshops that we do for organizations. If you're like, hey, this could be a good fit for a team, that's another way to do it is have your company pay for uh, us to come in and, and teach your entire team that. That can also work. Or if you want to just connect with me directly, if you have specific questions or just love puns, if you're like, that wasn't a bad door joke, I love that joke. <laughs> uh, if you want to follow me on uh, social media, it's Drew Tarvin, D-R-E-W-T-A-R-V as in Victor I-N, on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, it's all Drew Tarvin.
0: Excellent. And for the listener, uh, that's a lot of links and stuff. So go ahead and find those and and follow him, etc. Or you can just go to the action plan. You can go to com slash action. I'll have notes and tips and tactics, including the dishwasher loading techniques, uh, all in the action plans. Just go to com slash action. Drew, thank you so much for making time to come on the show.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And for the listeners, until next time, take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success.